What's up? Happy Monday. I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator. As always, I'll just say it since you're the only guest on this podcast so far. It's Colin Brister. We appreciate you joining us on another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. I hope everyone's having a good Monday. Hope everyone had a good weekend. We're recording on Sunday night in the hours after Ole Miss completed a sweep of the Belmont. We'll talk some hoops. We'll talk some – obviously, we'll talk baseball. We'll talk some hoops as well uh, and maybe get into a couple other things. I don't know. What's up? What's up, dude? Not much. Not much. I just got back from uh, Swayze Field for the first time in, like, over a year. That felt nice. I like, that, it, so four is yours. How was that? Like, the uh, outfit looked awesome. Like, the world – one of the signs of the world returning to normal, as much as yeah. I think is the beer showers can be corny sometimes, seeing people out in the outfield was awesome. Yes. Uh, Elko's second home run, the three-run homer that puts him up in the seventh, like, there's just this massive beer shower. And, like, I almost wanted to cry. I didn't. But I almost wanted to cry because it's, like, the first time – I know this being a little nostalgic or whatever, but the first time in more than a year, like it just kind of felt normal. Um, and you can have your opinion on whether, you know, we're rushing back to normal too quick, whatever. But it, it did feel like we were pre-COVID days. And then that, that really, really felt nice. I don't even know it's nostalgic, dude. We, this year, I don't know if you've noticed, this last 360-ish days kind of sucked. It was this week. It was uh, – I was It'll actually – be this Thursday, this. March 11th, right? Yeah. Yeah. Either – if you want to call it March, uh, this Thursday or this Friday, whatever. But, yeah, uh, it was when the world shut down. I think it was – yeah, Thursday was when uh, Rudy Gobert tested positive and, and the world essentially shut down that next morning. Right. We had the – you know, the Ole Miss played Georgia. Then you had the – whatever the night cop was that night. And, like, they were going to play with no fans. And then by, what, noon the next day, all the other conference tournament games. Yeah. A conference tournaments have been canceled. The NCAA tournament was canceled the next week. The college baseball season was canceled, I believe, the next week yeah. as well. Like it, it and remember, and I'm not like trying to like hate on people, um, you know, for being upset or whatever. But you remember when everyone uh, kind of was like, oh, they're rushing to judgment, just canceling all this stuff, just delay it. And it's like, yeah, those guys were probably right because there was no way you were going to be able to play any of that stuff. They were, but I was actually one of the people you were talking about. I wasn't, like, complaining per se, but I thought canceling the college baseball season was short-sighted. And I'll never forget, I talked to uh, I talked to Bracken Ray, who I actually we're going to have on the podcast this week. Um, I was texting him that night after the nightcap of the SEC tournament just because everything was going down. I believe it was Sean Farnham was on SportsCenter saying that he thought this was the last college basketball game that would be played this year. And I basically texted Bracken saying, like, get a load of this guy overreacting and <laughs> score one for Sean. That, that's not an overreaction by any stretch. But you know, at the time it was fair because we just didn't know what this – I mean, yeah. there's no way to predict that our lives will continue to be different from what happened over the next, you know, 360 days, but really what happened in that week. Yeah. yeah I mean, the world – like, I don't, you know, mean this hyperbolically. The world stopped that week. Um, like. I will always remember where I was when, uh, you know, they, they called off the SEC tournament. I'm watching St. John's and maybe Butler they play a basketball. Yeah, play a basketball game, and they pull them off the floor at halftime and call this game. And it's like, okay, like I think that's when it hit me. When you stop a game at halftime, and it's like, no, nah, it's not safe to be out there anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, we, we have an actual real-time problem right here. Um, and then, sure enough, I mean, you know, you don't get sports back. And really, I mean, NASCAR is a sport, but you don't really get any American sports besides NASCAR back for legitimately four months. Um, 
a little bit longer than four months. So, yeah, just just insane. And it, do you remember what, like, I was wanting to get into this later this week, but I don't care. We can have this conversation now. Like, do you just remember such a, like, what a terrible feeling it was for so many days in a row where you yeah. wake up and someone else has tested positive for something. There's some sort of cancellation. You know, things are being shut down. I mean, you get a week and a half into this thing, and I remember going to Walmart, like buying groceries and uh, honestly, like to be completely frank, buying a ton of beer just in case, <laughs> just in case everything shut down, even like the essential stuff. It, it was, I guess we didn't fully appreciate, I say fully appreciate, I guess I didn't fully realize it in the moment oh. how insane and just depressing that whole stretch was. That was terrible. Uh, he was never living through that again. Yeah, stay with me here. You were with Super Talk then, right? When this all hits. Correct. I had taken right. vacation. I had taken two days of vacation to come out, actually where I live now, to celebrate my girlfriend's birthday, my own birthday. We went to a Dallas Stars game the tenth, <laughs> and I drove home on the eleventh as the Gobert thing happened. Okay, so stay with me here. Um, do you remember? So this happens on a Wednesday. Do you remember when you guys stopped doing radio together? Because you and Richard would do radio together pretty much every day, correct? Yes. So uh -huh. I just wonder how long it, it took to y'all realize you, it wasn't probably safe for you guys to be together anymore. So, oh, that's a good question. So I guess it was, we did obviously the next couple of days together. Richard was doing the show elsewhere and at home sometimes particularly that time of year because he had got so many hoops assignments and right. baseball so it wasn't that uncommon i think like two weeks into it because there was another week where we did it together and then two weeks into it um they didn't make a big they never made a big deal out of it they just was like richard just kind of said he was going to start doing it from his home studio and i figured someone in management or whatever told him that might be a good idea yeah. And then it, we just never did a show together again. I mean, like that was, that was it. I mean, until the day I got the call that I was no longer employed by the company. That's always a fun call. Yeah. That was great. Right after we had recorded the rebel report podcast. So that was a, uh, that, that episode didn't go live to say the least, <laughs> we, but we, to your, I guess I've never really thought about that until you asked, we never did a show together again. I don't think ever. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, room. And it's crazy because you remember like when, when this first comes out, it's like uh, – because I remember like Sean Payton had it within like a week and a half of this all starting. And it's like, oh, God, this is this massive deal. And now like if somebody test posed – and I, look, I, I understand that this isn't the flu and the death rate the death rate is, you know, is worrisome. Um, but like it, do you remember just like the drastic tone shift of when a person had COVID a year ago and when a person has COVID today? Like have you have, have you had it? I don't know, um, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, so I, I say that. Like, I don't mean that like, like blasé. I, uh, I went to – I've been careful for the most part. In December, I went to a friend's dinner. We, uh, a, a, a group of us went to go eat at an Italian place. And there were, I think, 10 people at the table and eight people got COVID. Oh, my but God. I went and got tested twice and kept testing negative. You probably didn't have immediately that. after that dinner happened within three days, I felt, and I don't get sick. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think about this to people all the time and people think I'm being irrational. I don't get sick. Like there will be studies done on my immune system after we're gone. And I might be put in one of those museums, to be honest, I'm not to brag, but could be, I'm just saying. And so once I die at age two forty five or 300, 
Um, they might put my immune system in a museum, but I don't get sick. And I felt terrible coincidentally for the four days after that dinner that everyone else got COVID, but I kept testing negative. So you tell me. Huh. Yeah, you may have it. Um, like I, when I got it, I got it like I think a month, maybe a month and a week ago. Um, I, I went to a, because I helped coach basketball this year. I went and helped scout a basketball game on a Monday night. I'm riding back from the truck and, uh, with my, with the head basketball coach at the school I'm at. My back just starts like, I'm ready to die. It is like killing me. And I wake up that next morning with just this massive, massive splitting headache. And I'm like, you, I don't get sick. And sure enough, I went and got tested. And sure enough, I had, I had fever for, I don't know, three or four days. But after that, it was pretty much just a runny nose. But it's crazy how it affects people because someone that's a lot more healthier than me and is in better shape than me gets it, right? And they're in the hospital and, and they're younger than me. And it's like, I just don't understand how this thing works. And I think we're a year into this and not many people do. No, I mean, not to go like, oh, it's just a flu guy, but like it kind of <laughs> works in similar ways to that to where the flu really kind of shakes some people up for a while. I think the flu, when you get the flu, like everyone kind of feels bad for, I would say, at least 48 hours, but it does affect people differently. And to me, in terms of the effects it has on people, like wide ranging, it's similar to that to where it just kind of messes some people up really bad. And then, I mean, hell, the other extreme, some, I mean, a lot of people don't even ever know they had it, right? Like Donovan right. got it from Rudy Gobert. And was like, I feel fine. Like I remember watching him do an interview on Sports Center or something, and he was like, Yeah, I, 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 they just told me I had it. Like otherwise, I would never know. And that was kind of the conversation we were on. You were talking about like, Oh wow, Sean Payton had it a week after. And then the other big one you remember was Tom Hanks. He had gotten it from Australia. Yeah. It really screwed him up. And it was like, <laughs> not to be crude here, but in the early days of the whole COVID thing, it was like. Oh, like gasp, he had COVID-19. It's like almost like your college buddy admitting that he may or may not have tested positive for something downstairs. It was like, whoa, this guy has COVID. <laughs> and now, what? What it took probably two months to just get completely desensitized to it. It was like, ah, okay, another case. Like, Yeah. And someone asked a good question on a message board I was reading the other day. Very few of those nowadays. But someone asked, uh, when, so you know you got Michael Jordan's flu game, right? Yeah. When, when do you have a COVID game? Like, when are we going to let people play basketball with COVID? Well, if they hadn't canceled that night and Gobert had dropped 30 and 10 or something, that might account. And Do you think – and I'm kind of serious here because uh, I don't – and, uh, again, we're not going to get too political here. I don't think COVID's ever just going to up and go away. Um, do you think they continue testing athletes like this at the rate they have? Um over the next few years, or what do you think that looks like? I think they stop once they get vaccinated, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, so then comes another question, right? Like, do I have to take a vaccine every year? Um, is it like the flu shot where I have to do it every year and it's voluntary? Like, how does that work? So that, that part becomes interesting to me is how often do I have to take this vaccine? Let me be very clear. I'll take the vaccine every year. I don't give a damn. Um, but, you know, not everybody's going to, so I just kind of wonder how that works. Yeah, no, it is interesting to know what that looks like. And, like, again, I'm not a doctor. I just pretended to be one on radio for a while. I have no idea. But that's kind of every with everything in society, right? We're about to go back to, quote, unquote, normal. You mentioned it felt normal uh, being it in over the weekend. It felt normal uh, being in Globe Life Park a couple weekends ago. I get it. The world's not completely normal. But I think part of that is my point. We're headed back to, quote, unquote, normal. And I guess normal is code for a functioning open society. 
but what is normal now going forward whether it's like you mentioned the flu shot is it a one-time vaccine from a medical medical what does life look like in general yeah no absolutely is there anything like and and we'll get to baseball in just a second is there anything that like you did pre-covid that now you won't do like like in in when let's just say things are normal and i don't know june is there anything pre-COVID that you did that you won't do now? Ooh. I think it's our same of our conversation on Friday. I'm a, I might tap out on the crowded bars, and it's not because it's yeah. COVID. I think it was just like, okay, like now we can't do this. I don't know if I'm ever going back. So <laughs> the, the $40 cover Friday of a football weekend at the library, I'm, being, I'm, I'm, I'm calling myself out on my own bullshit right now. Come next fall, if I'm in town for a game and my buddies are in town and we're having like a nice reunion weekend and everyone wants to go to the library, guess who's probably forking over the $40 reluctantly at the age yeah. they conveniently And let's be that. very real. It won't be a $40 cover. It'd probably be 60 Yeah, 60 to 80 But in terms of going to seek out a crowded bar, I might tap out on that. Outside of that, no. Maybe I just don't care about anything enough. What's the uh, what's the most you paid for a uh, library cover during your college days? Mm-hmm. Since we're what, like four 80. years removed from college, we can we, we can say it now. Eighty. Yeah, I got talked into paying a hundred. Uh, oh. The Alabama game and fourteen. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of one of those deals where like. <laughs> It depends because there's been times where I've seen it at like 40 or 60 and I'm in a position, particularly living close to the square in my last couple of years of college, I would yes. be like, nah, hitting chicken on a stick and walking home. <laughs> Whereas if it happens earlier in the night or there's sometimes you're in a situation where like, I don't want to go home now. We have no other choice. You're just forking over the money. It's almost like peer yeah. pressure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, well, I was not in my greatest state after the Alabama 14 game. Someone was like, let's just pay it. It'll be the night of our life. You know what, man? Sure. How many times are we beating Alabama in my lifetime? Let's just say that maybe the last time you pay a hundred bucks for the right. No, no, no. no it, there's no may. I will never pay a hundred dollar cover again. But no, outside of that, no, I, I mean, I don't know what that says about me, but I I'm ready to go back to normal as soon as we can do it safely. I don't think I'll fear anything like no. I was going to say, say like, this. Like maybe I will like, say this. Go ahead. I am more likely, and, and I'll be honest, I, I never thought about this. If I don't feel well, like, you know, like there are days when you go to work where you don't necessarily feel well, right? Right. I might, I'm in, and look, I'm not a mask hero or anything. If I, don't, if I feel like shit, I might wear one. Just, you know, protect the people from around me that if I have strep throat, I don't give it to them. Um, you know, like that type of thing. Other than that, probably not me either. Well, I was going to say something like uh, maybe, you know, mosh pits at concerts. But guess who didn't do that before COVID? Me. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't do that. So, like, there's not a whole lot, I guess, that changed for me. Like, you know, my biggest – You're, you're a concert guy? I do like concerts. I'm not a pit guy. It's yeah, mainly because no, I've, I'm I've never, I've never been to a concert outside of Nelly uh, in 2014 in the Grove. Did you make an appearance at that one? Uh, did not. You've never been to a concert outside of that? No, I'm not. I'm not a concert guy. So I like sitting there in my own space, listening to live music. Love it. I'm not See, a huge, like like, like roadie or like I'm not a huge music guy in general. But like, you give me tickets to some show, I'm probably gonna go. Again, not a pit guy though. Okay, fair enough. Um, that said, I don't go to a ton of concerts. Like I'm not some like, but I do find it interesting. You've never been to one in general outside of Nelly. I've done the Hangout Fest before. 
I've seen a couple of Pearl Jam I mean, shows. Well, um, let me let me let me clarify. I've never been to a uh, um, a concert outside of Nelly and one that was hosted outside of a frat house. Other than those two, yeah, no, I've never been to one. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I would say no outside of that. Like I was gonna go, yeah, no more uh, mosh pit for me at uh, you know panic shows, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I'm just full of myself right now. But I didn't do that anyway, so I don't think anything's changed. Um. Speaking of, I guess that's as good a transition as any to get into baseball. The Rebels swept Belmont over the weekend. Um, I'll just give the floor to you first and give some initial thoughts, um, and then I'll preface it with this. Belmont, better than I originally figured they would be, and that was really not based off of anything, but that squad was a lot tougher. And then once they started, uh, you know, they showed the TV graphic a couple times, I didn't realize they were predicted to win their league by the coaches. You You know who else is in that league? Tennessee Tech. That's right. So, so screw them. Glad Belmont's going to win it. Anyways, um, you know, Belmont's a good team. Not like, not like good for SEC standards, but like it was quality competition. It was not, you know, uh, a, a, a scrub school rolling in there to, to play. You almost had to earn all three games this weekend. I thought they played uh, pretty well on Friday. I didn't think they particularly played well the last six innings of Friday um, and the first frankly, nine innings yesterday. I thought Taylor Broadway was really good on on Saturday. I didn't think Gunnar Hoagland had his best stuff. Um, and then Sunday, I, man, at some point, you know, like, and, and I know he was really good against Texas, but the last two, and I thought, you know, Bianco said he thought he pit, Diamond pitched really well against UCF, and obviously his rest was cut sh- short two days. I don't really think he's been that great the past two weeks. Now, look, that's not me saying, hey, Ole Miss needs to make a change on Sunday. No, no, that's not even entering into the conversation. I do just wonder why teams are able to hit Diamond so well when he's throwing 94 to 96 miles an hour. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And I haven't watched the film. Um, I probably actually will go watch his start because they were getting really good wood on him, and his velo was up. So that concerned me a little bit. Is it um, – uh, to add on top of that, though, I'll pose this question because I wrote this down in my notes looking at the stats and having – granted, I watched pieces of today's game. I texted you earlier saying that I had a uh, – we can talk about this later, that I'm just a has-been now and just really can't recover after a night out the same way I can. Watch pieces of it today. But it's it's a it's a, not a command thing. He's also walking and hitting more dudes yeah. than he did last year. I think that's probably the source, no? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I don't think there's a ton. And, look, I can't back what I'm about to say up with stats or analytics or anything. I don't think there's a ton of life on his fastball right now. Um, and, again, I don't want people to, you know, misquote me or, or misrepresent what I'm saying. I am not saying Ole Miss needs to make a change on Sunday. I, I am just speaking as if, like, why, why is this guy dominating? Because he's throwing 94 to 96. I think he's got a pretty good breaking ball. Um, yeah, I do think there's some control issues. But, like, in saying that, too, they hit everything hard today, and he did not coax a whole lot of ground balls. Um, so I just I'd like to see him be better next week against ULM and into Auburn uh, the first weekend of SEC play. But you know, I mean, we're going to stay positive here. Ole Miss beat Belmont three games. Uh, Tim Elko was amazing. Uh, it was nice to see Kevin Graham have a good weekend. Uh, Justin Bench continues to be on fire. Hayden Dunhurst is going to be a top five pick in the draft next year. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good weekend for Ole Miss. I'm not going to say great. I don't think they played great uh, really in any of the three games. But, look, you can't beat a 5-0 and a week against what I think is probably going to be a team that does win the OVC and, and probably makes a run in their tournament and could be a four seed in someone else's regional. So Hopefully not Oxford. That, 
are you re, uh you know you mentioned on on friday and i had again i don't know other than i so i actually did write this conference preview circa 28 2017 <laughs> d1 baseball what league is this ohio valley right yeah yeah wait 2017 so did you predict tennessee tech to win the league um no so they were up oh. there the year i did it and i would i'm, I'm not going to pretend i was a tennessee tech expert but i knew they had a bunch of dudes that raped and that they were all <laughs> coming back because i remember from that preview they had a bunch of sophomores and even looking at their home run numbers as freshmen is like do these guys drug test like I, that was kind of my first reaction is like good lord these dudes mash the ball so yeah not a, again not a tennessee tech expert but i knew a lot of those names in 2018 and i knew those dudes hit the cover off the ball i did not know how wicked of a uh, pitcher their left fielder was right fielder get it right I did, I did it again i did it again right fielder as i'm picturing the right field bullpen but um yeah, no, so I, I guess the question I'll pose is you mentioned on Friday, you don't think necessarily it will be, I was about to say net, top 100 RPI. Do you think that, if you're, has your opinion on that changed? Do you think that will be top 100 RPI? Uh, no, I don't, but I, I don't think Close? they're, yeah, yeah, I think they're 110 to 130. Uh, I think they're going to be a nightmare four seed because the cat they threw out there on Saturday was throwing 89 to 91 and was throwing three pitches into the strike zone. You don't want that guy on Friday night in your regional. Um, so, no, I don't think they're going to be a top 100 win or anything, frankly, because their schedule is not going to really allow for it. But I do think they're a decent baseball team. I think, yeah, I think they're good. Look, I don't. I don't think they're going to be anything more than a four seed if they get into the regional. But I, I, I do. I don't think Ole Miss could have just come in here and played poorly and win three games um, like they probably could have against Jackson State or Alcorn State. Agree with that one hundred percent. I mean, how there's a, I mean, there's a world where they lose two of three, right? If a couple of things don't go the right way, and credit to them for making the plays and doing it. I'm not discounting what they did, but to your point, particularly the last two games, they really had to earn it. And we can start there. Why don't we start with Diamond, and then we'll work our way back into the good. I agree. Yeah. I, he hasn't been sharp. I think it's more of a command thing. I don't think he's fig- – again, I'm not calling for anything. I think he's the best Sunday option they yeah. have by a long shot. But at the same time, I'll present this question is, there was probably a point where he was going to get – and, again, we haven't hit SEC play, so I guess this isn't even the best way to pose this – but there was going to be a point last year where he was going to get roughed up a bit and kind of have to figure it out, right? I mean, it happens to essentially everyone in the SEC unless you're just an elite talent. And so do you think he's hitting that point? Like, do you think there's more of a sample size on what he is as a pitcher and he's kind of having to figure it out and maybe reinvent himself a little bit and figure out a way to get outs when there's no life on that fastball? Do you think that's what he's going through at the moment? Um, yeah, no, that could totally be it. And, again, I, I want to reiterate on the fastball life thing. I don't have anything to back that up it's just a theory because again not getting a ton of ground balls right now so something and again the velocity is extremely good so feels like to me they're able to square baseballs up baseball's not sinking or anything and I don't know if he had a ton of sink you know on his fastball at any point in time but yeah I know I like like you said I mean the kids a freshman uh last year I thought he was going to be really good but yeah you don't usually walk through this league as a freshman unless you're you know Kumar Rocker um, and not get, you know, beat up at times. So maybe it is some of that. Maybe there's film. Maybe you have to adjust. Like, I mean, I know um, there were going to be, you know, Hayden Hayden Dunhurst last year, Peyton Chatney. We're going to have to adjust at times. People are going to find holes and swings. Uh, people are going to find, you know, tips or whatnot and be able to exploit those, and they were going to have to adjust. And, sure, that could certainly be the case about Diamond. Um, again, I'm, I'm not concerned 
about Derek Diamond uh, last week is, you know, like I said, he's two days short, short rest in February. Not a massive deal. Um, today was a little bit alarming because they were able to get to his fastball. So that, that, that kind of concerned me a little bit. But, you know, not all things considered, it's not the worst outing in the world either. Uh, there is a place on this team that I am actually concerned, though, if you want to go there. We can. The last thing I would say on that is, let alone ground balls, he got he generated a ton more swings and misses on the fastball. Uh, at least, for again, I'm kind of the same thing as the light thing. I don't have numbers to back this up, but it seemed like to me from watching pieces of him today and pieces of his last couple starts compared to last year, people swung through his fastball more often than it is, let alone ground balls. Sure. Braden Forsyth is a concern at this point. Um, yeah, so I was going to go – I was going to get there too. So, not not great. Yeah. I mean, you have it – you got a three whip over 1.2 innings. And, I mean, Belmont's the, – the one kid he hits, the next kid squares him up. Um, you know, he, he loads the bases against Texas Tech, you know, two weeks ago on Sunday. It's wasn't great in the fall. was pretty bad in the spring from what I've been told. Yeah, that's a concern, and I don't really think at this point uh, – I think if you're sending him out there at this point to close games, uh, you're, doing, you're doing him a disservice, you're doing his team a disservice. I don't think, you know, you just throw him off the team and forget about him, but I don't really think that guy needs to be your closer right now. He didn't record it out. He's the reason that they had to kind of stress yeah. today. Well, I mean, the Broadway's on fumes out there now. But they, so they brought I, I would agree with that, that. That was I agree with that wholeheartedly. So Broadway obviously was not great today, but I don't think that was technically fair. Coming out no. after I don't how many pitches? Do you know how many pitches he threw Saturday? I, I don't, but it was high stress pitches, and I know Mike didn't want to have to go to him, but they left him no choice. And why did uh, they have to go to him? Because Diamond went four innings. Well, okay, but directly is because Forsyth Braden Forsyth couldn't get it out. Yeah, he was going to lose. Now, let me be very clear. Mike had to get the kid out. He was going to lose the baseball game. Oh, 100%. But, like, yeah. if, if Forsyth is good, uh, Broadway never comes back in is my point. No. No, yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, their plan was to get a little bit more length out of out of uh, Diamond, have, you know, Miller toss two innings and then go from there. Myers looked really good. Um, but, yeah, uh, Braden Forsyth's a concern at this point. And – yeah, I, I, I just – they're going to have to, in that situation, have to go to either Mallets or Brandon Johnson or literally anybody, Greer Holston. I don't know, but it can't be him right now. Um, he's going to have to work through whatever's going on. Um, and that's – look, like I said, you're not throwing this kid to the wolves by any stretch of imagination. There's, there's talent there, but right now with the game on the line, that, that's not who I'd be giving the baseball to. He needs to figure it out in some low leverage situations. You've sure. seen it happen with countless guys, whether it's midweek, whether you have a big lead, let him go figure some things out because he's, it's been there. You saw it last year um, before the shutdown. Like you mentioned, it's been there. But it's also not unfair to say that he does not deserve to be in high leverage situations right now. I say deserve. It, it would not be wise to do such a thing right now. I would totally agree with you. And the names you kind of threw out um, – to kind of go along with who they might replace him with. The Adcock kid has actually been pretty good for him too. I don't think he's allowed to earn run this year. Granted, it's he's what? Not. It's, it's, I think he's at a five and a two-thirds total innings. I don't know how many total batters he's faced. I'm about to look it up right now. I mean, it's not extensive, extensive action, but, you know, swing and miss stuff, he's been pretty good. That kid, sure. I, I, I would say I've been impressed with him. I don't know if you would have pe pegged him as an immediate contributor, but he's been pretty good. 
you know, and, and obviously Max Trophy probably gets some innings this weekend if he's not hurt um, and dealing with – I think Mike said he had a family issue as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think – like, when I look at this team, like, I'm not – it's weird because, yes, Braden Forsyth is not good right now, right? But, like, Braden's Forsyth not being good doesn't mean that you're in trouble because this bullpen is so stacked. Like, you should be able to just replace that – uh, with someone else until he can get it figured out. Um, and I do believe he can get it figured out, but it's it's just kind of in a situation right now where it, it can't be an extremely high leverage situation. So, um, But I think yeah, you'll start I, to see that. I, I, I think this was the tipping point. I, I mean, you, we talk about Mike adapting and Mike learning. This is not even about that. It's just typical manager stuff. I think this sample size is now large enough to where you'll see him in different scenarios until he's kind of proven himself again, don't you think? He's not coming sure. in in another high leverage situation this week. Would you? Would you venture to say? I. It would. The only way I think he gets into a high leverage situation uh, before he kind of works some things out is, man, Miller's toast, Broadway's toast, uh, you know, Brandon Johnson's toast, and and you know you've just run through arms because Hoagland and and McKay didn't get deep. And you got to go to somebody, and he's got closures experience. But, yeah, outside of that, I don't really think there's going to be a ton of high leverage opportunities, late in the game at least, uh, for, for him. You covered this already a second ago. Um, but one of the notes I had written down is Broadway's been nails this year, and I don't read a whole lot into what no. happened today because they uh, put him back out there in a really crappy spot. The, the velo was 91-92. Like, he's dropped three miles of velo. The kid's running on fumes. And I can tell you what happened. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but like just, you know, reading some tea leaves, he went to Mike, I'm sure today and said, Hey, if you need an inning, I got you. And he didn't have an inning in his arm. He told himself he did. And he was lying to himself and Mike was like, all right, sure. And the kid went and took the mound and they saw him throwing 91, 92 mile an hour fastballs. And they said, ah, crap. Because let me tell you, uh, in the bottom of the night, somebody else was getting loose. He wasn't coming back out there. For sure. He did earn the win, though. So <laughs> He did. He did. Maybe he just wanted to get a win. <laughs> He's on 2-0. and Shout out here. to the uh, Belmont third base coach, by the way. That, that was big brain. Yeah. What uh, – what, what, I, I can't even begin to articulate what he might be thinking. Yeah. I mean, he, he throws on the stop sign with his kid, you know, two-fifths of the way down the line. It wasn't quite halfway. But it's like, bro, he's dead either way now. Like, you might as well have just sent him because he's sure dead at third. Yeah, yeah that was – I guess that was probably the weirdest part, right, is like the kid so far down the line and it was such a late stop sign. It's like, well, you, know, you got gravity and inertia here, pal. Like he's, he's, <laughs> he's not stopping on a dime. Yeah, inertia, yeah, he was dead. And, and I felt like, look, obviously you didn't want to give up the hit to tie the game, but I did feel like once they recorded out at third, you've got T.J. McCants in the nine hole and bench leading off in the one hole. Uh, as your second hitter, I, I, I kind of felt pretty good going into the bottom of the ninth because, frankly, if he got to Elko, he was just going to hit a homer. Okay, so that's a, as good a transition as any into something positive. Uh, Tim Elko uh, maybe heard the message board. Uh, if I yeah. have this correct. Johnny Reb done pissed him off. He was. He hit 500, an excess of 500 this week. Seven for thirteen. I don't know about the week, but the weekend seven for thirteen, and he hit a home run in each midweek game. I just didn't include that in there, but that seems okay. Yeah, he had for the week. Uh, tell me if this is good. I believe it was a two point two four three OPS. That'll probably had over play. a thousand slugging. Seems okay. 
I think it was like close to 1,500 slugging, actually. So my man, every at bat is averaging a, a base and a half. Jesus Christ. Look, we, I mean, this played in perfectly to what we were talking about, what I wrote on, I guess, the first newsletter I sent out, uh, talking about Elko and like how they need him to hit. Talked about it with Chase on a podcast for uh, Rebel Grove over the weekend. I'm not sure that's actually released. It may be by the time you guys are listening to this. I don't know. Not the point. But that point's been hammered home. And we talked about he either figures it out or they're not, they're not going to function at full capacity. And we both thought, hey, this is just an early season blip and he'll be fine. It's Belmont, but great sign. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's Belmont, like you said. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's got the highest OPS on your team, which is what you expected. Um, we'll see if it continues in SEC play. I, I think here's what I think is the biggest sign. Three of the home runs, three of the five, were to the opposite field. That 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 tells me he's seeing the baseball. He's not trying to do too much. He's he's just staying on pitches. And I think that's the biggest sign. Man, dude, the first home run he hit today was over the right field wall. And obviously he's a right-handed hitter. It was crushed. And you don't really see opposite field power like that too often. That thing was mauled. And yeah, I, I think he's in for a really, really special year. Agree, and at least two of his other hits were opposite field as well. And if I'm not mistaken, the walk off the weekend yep. before went to the opposite field as well, which is probably yep. as telling of a sign as any. Yeah, yeah, I, I he's on pitches, man, and it's it's fun to see when he's locked in because I think Bianco said this in uh, his post game radio interview as I was leaving the stadium. He's like, "Man, look, we've coached a lot of guys here. I mean, you think about the guys that have come through this program." Uh, over Mike's 20 years when he says this, he said he can hit the ball as far as any human being that's ever come through here. Think about the guys that have come through there for, for him to say that. Uh, yeah, I will contend somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Um, Chase Pedro Serrano Cockrell in batting practice <laughs> was quite impressive. Yeah, they said that man would hit, like, balls into the trees in Swayze and bat. I never got there early enough for batting practice. They said I remember he would hit balls one day at practice, he – this is before he – it was his first year there. This is before who he – When he stunk. Yeah, before – well, that, too, but before we knew who he was. This was preseason yeah. before his first year, and he steps in the cage and starts hitting balls on the tennis courts. And I felt <laughs> like that scene from the uh, Major League movie where, like, Jesus, who's this guy? He hits a ton. <laughs> the only thing missing from the scene was Mike Clement did not do a breaking ball after that. <laughs> but, uh, but getting you know, back on the rails, to your point, incredible power from Elko. You know how I, I knew I was if things were back to regular this weekend? I can tell you exactly the moment where I realized, okay, Swayze's back. Uh, Dunhurst gets thrown out at the plate. And it's like the exact right call to send him because he should have been safe. They he made a really good pet play. They make two perfect throws and he's out. And I just hear the guy behind me just going off on Clement. How do you send him there, coach? I'm like, yep, we are back. Nothing better than, than, than the, the third base uh, coach being the world's biggest idiot when it doesn't work out. No matter, yeah, this, like no matter the context. Context doesn't matter. The guy could trip over his own shoelaces and tie it around his neck and choke himself and it would still be the third base coach's fault. It's like, can he ever get anyone out without it being someone's fault? Like, can Mike, you just get out sometimes? 
Mike coach third back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, could we get that rumor going? Is Mike Bianca coming back out of the dugout to coach third base? I'll never forget uh, in 2014. This has always cracked me up because I'd never seen it before. And I'd always wondered what would happen. Uh, Godwin gets run against LSU on a Saturday. And I'm like, oh, God, is Bianco going to coach third base? And sure enough, my man put his helmet on, walked up there and coached third base. But Godwin was suspended the next Tuesday and he made Stephen Head do it. That's right. I forgot about that. And, he made uh, Stephen Head do it. If, if you ever talk to Cliff Godwin, uh, he probably thoroughly enjoyed getting tossed. <laughs> I've heard a uh, Cliff Godwin story uh, about when he played at State a couple of years ago, what he called the uh, what he called the umpire. It was the funniest thing I've ever heard. He got run. I'd say you were talking about when he took his ECU team. It was the same yeah. that kid from ECU almost threw a perfect game against yeah. him. If you remember the Cooch Boehner kid, I think. Yeah. His, that's crazy. I remember his name off the top of my head. But he had gotten run at state the day before. And I will let uh, Chase Parham. Uh, that's right. That's Chase that story. told us this. Yeah, I was about to say Chase. He told Chase what he said to the guy and why he said it. And I won't ruin the story. You can guys go ask him if you're Rebel Grove subscribers. But uh, number two, I would say there was little remorse. You racist redneck piece of never mind. Anyway, uh, so great weekend for Elko. Justin Bent, as you mentioned, had another fantastic weekend. Here's a statistic for you. If I have this correct, and I'll pose this from the I'll I'll ask this, but I don't necessarily even mean it when I ask it. Bench and Elko were responsible for nine of the team's 16 hits throughout the last two days, is that a good sign or concerning? Uh, no, I don't think that's problematic. Like, Justin Bench and Tim Elko carrying an offense where Peyton Chatney is hurt, Jacob Gonzalez is struggling. No, like, that that doesn't concern me. Um, that's what they're supposed to do. They're, 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 you know, it's funny. You talk about Bench being a veteran on this team, and if you remember back – he doesn't play a ton in 2019 because he breaks his hand. 2020, I mean, you play 16 games. 2021, they look at you like you're a veteran now, kid. Uh, but you haven't even played much in SEC play. Um, that is so. a good point. I've never thought about that. You do look at him like a veteran now. Mike has always loved Justin Bench. Uh, I like, love even Justin. to the point where it, like, I remember him playing a lot early on in his career, even pre-broken hand. And it wasn't, like, unjustified is the wrong word, but there was not these crazy results to, to I guess, solidify why Mike is starting him so often. And you know he was right. Is. You see why. But, like, Mike, I would just point that out. Mike would loves Justin Bench. I will also point out another funny anecdote. You remember he breaks his hand. He comes yeah. back. And his first at bat back from a broken hand, Mike bunts him. <laughs> so what are you doing? I guess Ethan Small. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I always yeah. just found that funny. But he he's a good baseball player and a really he's turned into a really good hitter. And I say that as if he wasn't before, but you're starting to finally see it. And maybe it's just the sample size. He's finally got the 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 amount of at bats and the amount of innings in, right? Because between the injury and the shutdown, he, he hadn't had a full year. Yeah. Uh being Johnny Bench's kid helps too. That's the funniest thing on Ole Miss Twitter to me, by the way, is just everyone, you know, being in on the joke. I will never that, get tired of that joke, having uh, known and had the pleasure to meet the real Johnny Bench and the fact that he would have an 18-year-old son at this point in life is just very amusing to me. Picked the University of Mississippi. Um, but, yeah, no, I, that, that, that's not concerning to me. I think Justin Bench is a horse. If Let's just do this. If You've covered a lot of Ole Miss baseball. Who would you comp Justin Bench to? 
This one to me is pretty simple, but I'll let you, I'll let you take a guess. Maybe it's because it's nine o'clock on a Sunday and I'm running on very fast sleep, but I don't know where, I don't know. I can't think of one off the top he's of Will my Golson, head, but you clearly right? have one in mind. He's Will Golson, right? Like he plays every position, plays them well, and he just wakes up and hits. Like that, that to me is, is the epitome of Will Golson. I think, I think that kid's starting to embody, you know, kind of what that guy presented to Ole Miss for five or for four years. I uh, actually really enjoyed that comp. I guess uh, I guess I wasn't thinking Golston for two reasons off the top of my head. Is you say the kid can play everywhere. Justin Bitch definitely can, no argument there. But we haven't seen the amount of positions to where Will Golston, I mean, by the time he was a junior, well, had played what? First, third, second, and outfield? He played every he played every position. Um by the time he was a junior, except for shortstop and catcher, and they recruited him as a shortstop. I wrote it to when I, I was in-house that year that we went over this on Friday's show about Mike getting mad at me for the crazy thing and on the pitching rotation and all that. The first story I wrote about the baseball team was the just absurd consistency of Will Golson, and it dated back to high school. He was, was he New Hope? Is that right? Yeah, New Hope. Yeah. I talked to his high school coach and was like, is any of this surprising to you? Because, you know, he wasn't like a – like, oh, man, they got this kid to campus. Yeah. Played from day one and literally hit from day one until the time he left. And that – it's it's underrated consistency. I don't think his credit will – his career will get the credit it deserves. But it was the same way, basically, from eighth grade on. The kid just showed up and hit. And it's not like he hit the ball out of the ballpark all the time. He just got on base and hit. Yeah. No, and But you mentioned Bench not playing the amount of positions. I will say he's played – Three, he played shortstop this weekend for the first time. Um, he's played six of them. He's played six of them. We got to yeah, got him get him at first base and catcher. But no, and it was funny. I, I heard Mike talking about him, and he made a really good point. He said, you know, when you think about utility guys, they're usually utility guys for a reason because they can play everywhere, but they're not ever really going to be the best at one of those positions. And he said. Bench is the best at all of our positions. He was like, we, he's the best center fielder we have. He's the best corner outfielder we have. He's the best second baseman we have. And he's the best shortstop we have. But right now, you're just like, you know, we need him in center field because that's what makes Ole Miss the best. And I kind of agree with him. I mean, obviously, he's the baseball coach. He knows more. He's forgotten more baseball I'll ever know. But watching him play defense, he is certainly probably the best at every single position that they put him at. And you, I agree. I think that's, I had not heard Mike say that. I haven't gone back and listened to the press conference yet from, uh, from really any of the weekend games. I kind of made notes and observations off the each, but I'll probably do that before I send out the newsletter, which you should check out. Go to your inbox, com. It will be in your inbox by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, but you mentioned that them needing him in center field. I mean, evidence enough of that, even without Mike saying it, is the fact that Chatagnier goes out with an injury and Bench doesn't go to second because that would have probably been the most natural move, not considering what you had in the outfield. So what, you, what else you would do in the outfield aside, that would seem like the most natural move and it didn't happen. Right. Um, yeah, you bring him into the infield and replace him with one of the many outfielders you have. But I think that was kind of twofold too. I mean, they – Cade Sammons and John Rice Plumley are kind of struggling. And I think – Look, he didn't. He came in and pinch ran and got in it bad in the end. I think they love TJ McCants. Um, and spoiler alert, I do. I do too. Like that. That guy looks like he is going to be an absolute stud. He's still got some things to work on, but man, he looked good. 
Well, agreed. But uh, one of the other notes I had written down, and you, we can just go ahead and get into it. What did you make of the Wood Kid getting the start at second um, today, or I guess by yes Sunday, whatever? Recording this on Sunday, I already told you that Sunday. I don't. So here's the thing. Um, Peyton Chatney is going to replace whoever comes back, right? Like he's going to be the second baseman. They're just trying to fill it in until he's back. There's no. Yeah, there's nothing I, else I, I don't. I don't think it really matters, and they're going to get both of them looks. I don't think it really matters. I mean, you, you know, if TJ McCants was going to stay in the lineup and play every day when Chatney gets back, then I'd be like, well, what is he doing? But neither one of them are going to play every day, probably starting next week. Agree. I just found it interesting because, and part of this may be just come from not covering the team. That's not being my responsibility full time anymore. It made me double take. Like obviously when TJ McCants is in the lineup, like that, I say bench was the most natural move to second base. If you told me bench was staying in the outfield, it was obvious TJ McCants is kind of the guy at second base, but I did have to double take when I saw the lineup card today and it said Wood at second base. I was kind of like, wait, who? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they like Garrett Wood. Now, don't get me wrong. He, he was in the shortstop competition um, all fall, but, I mean, TJ McCants is the better player. He was a 10-grade for perfect game coming out of high school. I think he's – if you want – here's your hot take. I think by the time TJ McCants leaves, he's a shortstop. But anyways, won't spend a ton of time there. But I, I think he's going to be extremely, extremely good in Ole Miss Jersey. So that would mean Gonzalez is at third base. Third base, yeah. I think that happens. Okay, that's interesting. Fair enough. So we've hey, you want the- you want a fun fact? Yeah. Tim Elko's sixty-yard dash is faster than Jacob Gonzalez's. I would not. Not have something I that. thought I would see. No, I would not have guessed that. The Elko. So one last point on Elko before we move on. So what's crazy about it is like, so he's hitting and he's finally hitting at the level that like you thought and you feel like you've heard this for three years in the making. Well, it's, it's, it's because you have, and I don't know, I, I guess I don't, I don't have even have a point behind this, but you remember Elko's career trajectory was kind of somewhat thwarted because he lost the third base job three years ago to Tyler Keenan as freshman. freshman. And that just seems like a world ago, but you know, what happens if Keenan doesn't win that job? And, like, what does Elko's career look like if, you know, he wins that gig? Because, you know, yeah. Keenan, I mean, basically just hit from day one and never looked back, right? And, like, and here's something that gets forgotten. Yes, like uh, Keenan doesn't. Uh, Keenan's a better third baseman. Obviously, as a freshman, he gets to play and hits. But here's the thing that people forget, too. Um, they were going to let him try to DH, and Chase Cockrell just wouldn't stop hitting that year. Yeah. So that 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 held him back too. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I, maybe there was an overlap. But if I'm not mistaken, that first year, aside from Cockrell too, you had Tim Rowe, no? Yeah, absolutely. You had Tim Rowe um, that that DH'd against right-handed pitching. Some, yeah, um, he actually stayed hurt that year and didn't get to play a ton. But yeah. He actually, yeah, was getting to play a, a decent amount on that 18 team. So, it just kind of – he sat behind people. And then, obviously, look, he has the tough 19 year where they really wanted to play him because they moved into the outfield and, and tried to get him at bats, and it just didn't happen in 19. Um, and then that's when people kind of gave up on the kid, and since then he has just mashed. Yeah, I guess that maybe was the point that I was trying to get at that I didn't even know. It's not that he's been – a disappointment to this point. He struggled in 19, but early on in his career, he just kind of got buried by depth. Right. Yeah. That's exactly the way you should put it. Yeah, I agree. So, 
uh, outside of that, uh, Kevin Graham, another good weekend. Hit the big home run Saturday. Um, he hit another one today off of a left-handed left pitcher, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, I think Kevin Graham's going to be fine. I mean, you know, you don't really just have a 950 or whatever the hell OPS he had as a freshman if you can't hit. Uh, I stand by that. Like, you don't just hit in the SEC as a freshman if you suck. So, I think Kevin Graham is going to be fine. And the next stage in terms of his what's next for him is Mike trusting him enough to play him every day no matter what <laughs> pitcher throws with, right? Yeah, and he's doing that. He is. So, can we uh, – do you enjoy the term sneaky power? Because I would throw Kevin Graham as a sneaky power guy because he's not that huge. But yeah. there's one that's and, and got in my mind. There, he hit a home run in Hoover the second time Ole Miss played Arkansas in 19. Yeah. And it came off the bat, and it was like, okay, this has a chance. It's probably gone. Like, you know when someone actually strokes one, strokes one to where, like, it's a no-doubter, like, oh, right. like, the crowd kind of gasps. Well, like, yeah. that never happens with Kevin Graham, but his ball just keeps going. Like, the one he hit, the, the home run I'm talking about, was like, I remember watching it from the right field um, press box at – Hoover met because we were having to do a radio show during it. So we weren't in the main press box. So I'm watching it go down the line. It's like, Oh, that's well hit. And then it clanks off the top of the scoreboard. You're like, Oh, Holy shit. Like <laughs> all went forever. And I feel like he has a lot of those. Right. And, and I get what you're saying because you look at him and you don't just think power. Um, right. But when you hit 10 home runs as a freshman, it's kind of like that it gets, you know, you get intoxicated with it. It's like, well, maybe this guy can run him out of the park. And he sure did this weekend. I mean, just a massive home run Saturday. And it's, you know, Bianco talked on the pregame show as I'm driving to the stadium. He talks about, you know, yesterday the wind's blowing in. It's just howling. If you're able to get one out of there yesterday, you crushed it. And, and he certainly did. Yeah, he did. And it's, it's yeah, it's kind of crazy the way he, he like that happens because there was another one hit early on, very early on in his career, those two Louisville games in 19 where he yeah. smacked, he hit a ball. I don't remember if it was over left field or right field, but it was like one of those things where he hits it and off the bat, and you're not thinking no doubter, and then it sails like, you know, 80 feet over the fence, and it's like, good God. Like, how, like it's almost like, he's, like it, it's one of those dudes on the golf course that play with one of those, like, soft, like, preset balls, and it's yeah. like, oh, this guy's getting 15 more yards of distance because he's playing with a BS ball. Kevin Graham, I don't understand it, but it goes a long way. What's the uh, – real quick, what's the farthest home run you've seen involving Ole Miss? Either Ole Miss hit it or they were it was hit against them. I hate to put my guy on blast here because I, I enjoy his uh, company. Uh, good buddy of mine's brother. So, I lived, my roommate was uh, Ty Barber with the last place I lived in. Yeah. Austin, brother Jason. Um, yeah. Don't mean to put poor Jason on blast, but his debut came, if I'm not mistaken, in a midweek game against Memphis. And a mm. kid hit a ball off of him. Dead eyes. That that might have been at the end at Ole Miss. I, and no one will remember that. Maybe there's someone out there that remembers that I'm talking about. But I remember texting one of like one of my buddies immediately as that happened. It was like, holy crap, that ball went a long way. So that's my immediate answer. I'm probably missing a better one on the Ole Miss. Side. Um, the farthest one. So nobody will ever remember this. Uh, Kent Mathis. I think people like this is of legends. Kent Mathis hit a ball off Brett Buckfitch in 09 that I shit you not went over the tree out there in left field. Is this kid uh, this from was Vanderbilt? Uh, yeah, uh, De La Osa and uh, – God, what's the kid's name? Uh, Alvarez. Yeah, they hit some tanks too. But the absolute farthest ball I ever remember – and I gauge this also off of like off the bat, you know it's gone. 
the farthest ball I think I ever remember being hit, and you were there for this, I'm pretty sure, uh, was J.B. Woodman hit a ball in Hoover against uh, Vanderbilt that cleared um, – like was like halfway up the freaking tree line. That, he, I yes, that, I do remember this. He hit the top – that ball disappeared into the tops of the trees. It didn't go into <laughs> the forest. That ball disappeared over the tops of the green parts of those trees in the right foot Hoover. I forgot about that one. That's a good one too. That ball was destroyed. God, he hit that ball 500 feet. There's no way it didn't go 500 feet. I forgot you, about that. That man you, could slap. Like, he could rake oh. when he got a hold of one. Do you, like, look at some of these stat cast dis, uh, distances? Like, we were watching an MLB game. It's like, this guy hits the ball, and they're like, oh, he hit it 428. And I'm like, bullshit. Like, that ball went 508 feet. There's no way it didn't. I agree. And then there's ones – because there's, like, there's ones that are, like – yeah, this guy hit it 402, and it looks like it cleared the fence by, like, you know, the right field fence by, like, 15 feet. And then one guy absolutely mashes one, and it's only, like, 10 feet further, according to stat. I was like, this makes no sense. Yeah, Bellinger hit a ball in Dodger Stadium this year, like, off the back of the stadium in center field. And they're like, yeah, 440. Like, I, I, I guess feet may, must be different in Mississippi because that thing went five, 530 feet. Where yeah exactly where like where are you getting this distance I'd like to know. Um, outside of that, so bench Elko pretty good. Kevin yeah. Graham had a good weekend. Did anything else stick out? Uh, Gunner did not oh. have his best stuff obviously on Saturday. Kind of gets you know in a hiccup early, but the fact that he was able to finish it and piece together a decent start without having anywhere close to his best stuff, I thought was one a good sign. I don't know if that's necessarily just. I say it's telling, but he did get to the sixth inning and didn't completely implode, and he was fine, right? I mean, he strikes out yeah. seven walks, too. Like, he didn't have his best stuff and turned in a fine performance, I would right. say. Right, and, and I think that's the thing with Gunner, right? Like, anybody that understands baseball at more than a rudimentary level is going to watch Gunnar Hoagland pitch, and you're going to be like, that kid's awesome. You go look at his numbers. He has a four ERA. Um, whip, not great. I mean, he, he's walked more people, and he's probably comfortable with. But every time he's taken the mound, he's given Ole Miss a chance to win it. I don't think he's had his best stuff yet. And I think that when you look at Gunnar Hoagland, right, like you look back at 2019, there were some mental makeup problems. Like he's awful with guys on base. And I think when you look ahead two years from right now to his draft year, you look at the kid and it's like, all right, we know this kid's got legit stuff. Let me see what he can do when things aren't great. And I think, you know, when you look at him, Things have not been great for him. They weren't great for him this week. They weren't great for him in Dallas against Texas Tech. And he continued to compete. He continued to pitch his tail off. And, and I think that's a good sign because I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I go down and look at these stats, and I see Gunnar Hoagland has a 4.11 ERA. And some people are like, oh, that's concerning. It's like, no, it's not because he's going to get it down. He's going to be really good because that's who he is. He has great stuff. Can he make, have the make, mental makeup to be great? And I think over the first three weeks, the answer to that question is yes. So when the stuff comes along, he's going to be dominant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you talk about it, it, it not being great for him. And when things weren't great for him in 19, things Oof. imploded very quickly. And so that's interesting. So you bring up the, you bring up the, uh, the whip and that he's walked more people than he would like. I, over, I, I don't want to say overcorrection. Do you think this is part of him trying to learn how to be a better pitcher? Because his problem was early on was he was so fastball reliant, and it stemmed from high sure. school. You know, he had that stat in high school where it was like what he didn't walk a single kid or walked one person his senior year. And it's like 
wow, that's an impressive step, but don't you almost need to walk someone sometimes? Like, you know, yeah. I mean? like he was so focused. And Jason and I talked about this on Friday. Again, I, I keep like citing a podcast that is one, not live, and two, I don't know when it's going live. But we discussed this <laughs> on Friday where it's like he was so obsessed with filling up the zone is that he doesn't know how to pitch. And so obviously he's turned into a much better pitcher. I mean, he, he, I mean we talked about what he's done with this fastball and how that's gotten better in adding the slider. But I would, I would ask on top of that, do you think this, I guess, a little bit of a spike or surplus in walks is part of him kind of learning to be a, a pitcher and two, kind of being okay with the fact that he's not in the zone all the time? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Um, I don't think Gunnar Hoagland walking people is the biggest concern because I think he has great control. So, yeah, I, I think that's certainly possible. Um, what I will tell you is that he's given up a few balls uh, – that, that have been hit a little bit too hard too often. Uh, he gives up, you know, the two home runs in Dallas and gives up the home run yesterday into a, a, a pretty strong wind that's blowing in. So that's a little concerning, I guess, if you want to be. But my thing with Gunner is he hasn't, to me, in three starts, had his best stuff. And eventually he will. Like, this isn't something where, uh, you know, you're going to have your best stuff every game. And for three weeks in a row, I don't think he has had it and he's been pretty good. So he's going to eventually find that and is going to be dominant. Yeah, I think that's possible, though. Like, you know, the Gunnar Hoagland that doesn't have his best stuff in 2019, right? Like, let's pretend he doesn't have his breaking ball or doesn't have his changeup, which is an elite pitch. Well, now he's just throwing fastballs down the middle, and he's screwed. Well, in 2021, he's giving you six innings and three earned runs and giving you a chance to win the baseball game. I mean, if you're trying to paint a picture of the former half of what you're talking about, it's game three of the Super. Yeah, And you knew exactly that once he lost it after that first inning, you knew exactly which way this was going to go. It's just how long Mike let him go before they pulled him out of the game to where now he's a completely different guy in that sense, which is, uh, which is definitely a good sign. Uh, Belmont also had some kids that could rake. Um, they, had yeah. couple, they had three or four really good hitters to uh, beyond what I thought, I, I guess, you know what I mean? Like I, there were three or four kids that stuck out. It's like, actually this kid, this, this kid seems like he's pretty good. And like, this kid's not necessarily one of them, but they did have an Ole Miss fallback in Corey Bell. And I, I without did. looking at their roster, I bet he's not the only one. No. Um, I mean, just tell you about Belmont. They're, they're trotting out a guy on Sunday now in the seventh inning that's throwing 91 to 94. Um, they had dudes. They, they were not an awful baseball team. Now, look, are they an SEC team? God, no. Um, but they weren't terrible. And so – yeah, I, look, I thought Ole Miss played well this weekend, just all things considered. You don't play well last weekend. Um, this weekend you do. And, and you know, if you're Ole Miss, you've got a game against Alcorn State on Tuesday night, you will win it. I think you probably need to sweep again. And then you go into the Louisiana Tech midweek series at 14-2 and two and you, you get ready for conference play. I Look. If you would have offered Mike Bianco 14 – and this sounds funny because of how it happened. I get it. If you'd offered him 14-2 and two with a trip to Dallas, um, going into, you know, Louisiana Tech, he'd have taken it. And, and so you can look back at that UCF series here in a couple of weeks and think, ah, that, that sucks it happened um, as long as this team continues to perform. Yeah, I agree. And there's probably a world if you ask Mike Bianco about 14 and two, he'd take it. And he's probably maybe assuming that two of them might have come the opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I swear probably you do assume if you're that good, you know, you're going to win 14 and 16 games. 
well, why in the world are you losing to UCF or somebody of the like? Well, you know, and crap happens. And, and you know, I think a lot of people, and I still saw this this weekend, uh, you know, people are upset they lost the series of UCF or whatever. But like, they had a bad 24-hour stretch, right? Like, you are allowed to play poorly over a 24-hour stretch when you won 20 games or up. It happens. And, you know, one of those games is a one-run game where you just lose. Now, granted, game three, you don't play well. Uh, man, I, I just felt like way too much is being made of that UCF series. It, they, they played poorly for 24 hours, and, you know, you'd rather it happen now than in June. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, could well said, particularly that last point you just added in. It's like you'd rather it happen now in June. In the department of things that are not great, um, UCF got swept by the fighting Houston yeah. this weekend. That was not ideal. Yeah. But yeah, the, it almost it almost reinforces your point. It's like, is Ole Miss a better baseball team than UCF? Yes, of course. Yes. Like, shit happens sometimes. It just kind of is what it is. I mean, like, dude, the Dodgers are going to lose the series to the Marlins this year. That That's just baseball. It happens. Yeah. But like, the Dodgers will lose to the Dodgers. Uh, getting swept by Liberty, though? I probably wouldn't have predicted that. No, I would not have either. Um, Liberty. Liberty's a good athletics pro. Like, all jokes aside, like, you know, obviously, I'm not a big Q Freeze fan. He goes 10-2 and two at Liberty this year. They win their conference basketball tournament today, and apparently their baseball team's pretty good. So, AD, they're doing a good job. No clue who it is, but apparently he's doing a pretty good job. Praise be. I'll be praying for him. The uh, <laughs> Blessings to you. The last thing, one of the last notes I had before we can kind of maybe wrap up this weekend and move on to basketball before we get out of here. Um, can I present you a candidate? Here's I'm going to make up my own award. This is the pitcher that Mike trusts the most, not named Taylor Broadway. And can I give you a sneaky candidate? It's not even mm-hmm. sneaky. Okay. Yes. I mean, I would say like the the person I would say is too obvious. So um, I, I I'm going to go with Tyler Myers. No, Jackson Kimbrell. Yeah, that that was my second yes. Yeah. Yeah, been quite – I mean, Tyler Myers may be the answer, too. I'm not – this is uh, not made up a word, but quite good, quite good. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Um, can, I, can I say something? Like, I feel like I may have to turn in my old Miss fan card if I say this because people love this guy, and I do, too. But just – I and this isn't a shot at the kid. I don't understand how Austin Miller gets out. He does. He does a great job. But he throws 85 to 87, and they just swing over the top of his curveball. It is amazing to me that guy is as good as he is. And I don't really understand it. He must have some advanced, like, track man stuff because they can't hit this guy, and he doesn't have great velo, and he's got – his curveball's pretty good. I just don't understand how he does it. But kudos to that guy because he gets it done almost every time. I was say, it's funny you say that. So I did a story on this after – it was after the SEC tournament – when he had that moment against Vanderbilt right. where he was just out of his mind, when he struck out like yeah. like seven of nine hitters or eight of nine right. or something and gave them a chance to win and running on fumes, by the way, he had pitched the day before. Right. So I did this and I asked a couple of people and I even asked like, I think I asked Greg Kessinger just like from facing him in the fall or whatever. And every single person immediately with the same, went with the same thing. The way he tunnels pitches is so confusing to look at out of his hand. And, again, I'm not a baseball expert, and I'm, I say baseball expert. I'm not a hitting expert to the point where I've never hit a baseball at any sort of advanced level beyond Little League. So I don't know what they're looking at, but I will tell you this. Every single hitter and every single coach I interviewed says the way he tunnels his pitches 
hit the you say swinging over the top of the breaking ball. Apparently, the difference between his fastball and breaking ball, and maybe it's the fact that he's not throwing it that hard, is so confusing to people. That's how he get outs. But I thought I found that interesting. They all went to the exact same thing. That that's it's crazy to me because I he's legitimately no, I'm not kidding. Throwing 84 to 86 today and is just owning Belmont. I'm like, I, I don't understand it, but it works. So keep running him out there. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's confusing as shit to look at. I would equate it to maybe, uh, well, actually, I won't go there today. Well, is it kind of like the uh, Wyatt Short theory where like this guy like comes out and you like read the scouting report and it says 94 to 96, but this five, six man is on the hill. There's no way in hell he throws 94 to 96. And then he takes the ball and he throws 94 to 96. That's a fantastic example. I was going to say maybe it's like eating mushrooms and you just don't know what you're looking at. We're at college. We're on a, we're a, maybe two, two very different examples to say the same thing. But the same honestly, point, though. All, all joking aside, the reason I said that, uh, in all seriousness, was from ta- when I did that story from talking to those hitters, the look of expression, even from guys like Gray Kessinger on their face, talking about Austin Miller and just not knowing what you're looking at and it just being so baffling was was really telling to me. And you talk about you don't know how it like you don't know how this is happening. Like it's hard to see from like the pitcher's angle, but apparently when you're stepping in the batter's box, whatever he's throwing is confusing as hell. Yeah. Well, if it's working, it's working. Because, good God, I mean, I. I continue to be impressed by that guy. But, no, he was really solid today. But, yeah, on your point on Kimbrell, yeah, man, he's awesome. Um, he was he's really good really last good. year in midweek games. Yeah, no, he, he's really good. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 going to be in the rotation next year, I, I would presume. And he's never struggled. Even when no. they used him in spots last year, like he hasn't ever – I don't remember him – maybe I'm jinxing the kid, but has he sucked for a brief stretch yet? I don't remember. Not that I recall. He's been great since he got on campus. Yeah, I mean, pretty much from day one. I think he's, what, gone – I think he's 10 innings in this year and is not allowed to earn run. That'll, uh, that would be a Good nice play. to continue for them. <laughs> I feel like if uh, he doesn't allow an earned run, he might be in the rotation before too long. Because you get that guy on a on a weekend start, but no, yeah, he's been awesome, um, and a spot where he really needs to be because Ole Miss doesn't have a ton of left-handed options out of the bullpen. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 a spot where they've needed a left-hander to step up, and God knows he has. We've talked about things, you know, things can change throughout a year, and we talked about all these guys they have in the pen, and Mike figuring out who can really trust and who he can't. You're starting to see it a little bit. You can really trust Tyler Myers. You can really trust Austin Miller. You knew two of those three coming into the year. Mike right. probably had a pretty good idea about Crumble as well, but seeing him do it obviously only reinforces that. And on the other flip side of things, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure about trusting um, – Foresight, much, and there's maybe another one in there, one or two, you know, one-ish guys in there, and then there's that mix of the Adcocks and the, uh, I forget the other kid that starts with the Brandon M, Johnson, the M, oh Mallets, Mallets, yeah, and a couple other kids where it's like, okay, what do we have here? Like, can you show me a little more? But you're starting to feel like you're starting to see these roles form on um, in terms of who he really trusts and kind of who he can't right now. And again, this could change. Braden Forsythe could be the guy come May. I'm not ruling anything out. But you're kind of starting to see this take shape a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's funny. Um, you're, you're exactly right on the bullpen. It's funny how a week changes things because, man, I'm sitting there last Saturday as his offense is struggling. And I'm, 
texting people that, you know, I think know things about Ole Miss baseball. It's like, yeah, how much can Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoagland, like, actually hit? Like, you know, are they awful with bats in their hands or can they swing a little bit this weekend? It's like, you know what, never mind. You know, Gunner, Mike said Gunner is going to hit an Ole Miss before his career's over and he won't hit this year. And that was a quote that he had in 2020. So if Gunner goes through this year and next without hitting, I'm just going to have to call into one of those pressers and be like, why did you lie to the public? <laughs> um, you, you know what? Like, and, and I've had this question asked. You know why he doesn't, like, actually hit him, right? I mean, he doesn't need to, I don't guess. But Well, no, it's – like, so Gunnar Hoagland could get at bats at Ole Miss in spots where, yeah, he's going to be better than maybe, I don't know, a Knox LaPasser, or he's going to be better than a John Rice Plumley uh, getting at bats. But it's like, we play those guys in the midweek. And if my, my Saturday starter and first round pick takes, and he's left handed now, so his lead arms out in front, takes a ball off the wrist, like, we're all getting fired. So, they're not going to get him meaningless at bats and chance this guy, you know, rounding first base and pulling his hammy or something. So it's a situation where if he's going to hit, he's got to be one of the best 10 hitters. And I don't think he's advanced enough to be that good yet. Agreed. Is there anything we missed baseball watch before we transition to hoops and get out of here? Mm, not to our call. So I think we're good. We'll uh, be looking out for the newsletter on, I guess, by the time you listen, this should be in the inbox. I'll have some Ole Miss baseball thoughts recapping this. I'll be linking this podcast. Colin, if you're still interested, we'll start doing a uh, numbers piece once we get in the SEC play and kind of yeah. emphasize the thing. That'll be tremendous content. So that's two weeks out. Be, that's coming on the horizon. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, so as we transition into basketball, Ole Miss wins 56-46 over Vanderbilt on Saturday. Um, I would be lying to you if I a ton of this game. Um, I had some stuff to do on Saturday. Just really was not appointment television. Um, but a very Ole Miss 2021 win. They win by 10 points over a bad team with two guys in double figures. And they were 15 and 11. And no one else had more than eight points outside of that. Yeah, the I'm not sure how Schuler ended statistically. But he fouls out on the night, which just that, – that sucked. He um, played 16 minutes. Yeah, he's fouled out. I mean, he had three fouls in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, not great. Um, but, you know, you win the game. Let's just get to it. Because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Vanderbilt. Because, you know, you, if you didn't win that game, you're you're having a different conversation. Yeah. They got to win one. Toast. If you killed your season. Now they're still alive, and they're very much still alive. Yeah, they are very much still alive. And, and I know that sounds stupid because I wrote this team off a week ago, and it makes me look dumb. Um, I'm looking at Jerry Palm's bracketology. They are the third team out of the of the uh, of of the NCAA tournament. They are behind St. Louis, who is done. They uh, lost in their conference tournament and is not. I mean, their their season, I presume, is over. Um, Utah State, who is going to play in the Mountain West Conference tournament, obviously, you probably need to root against them. But Ole Miss is going to have an opportunity to play their way into the tournament. We talked about this a little bit before we hit record. They have to win at least two. Um, two is, is the bare minimum. They're not getting in if they don't win two. And two and is, for those out there listening that haven't looked at the bracket, before you finish your point, South Carolina, two is South Carolina and then LSU. Yes. There, there, to me, is no shot without winning those two. I think if you look up on Saturday and you were playing basketball in the SEC tournament, you have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Is it a great chance? I think it's probably 50-50. If you win three, 
I think they make the NCAA tournament. And, and I would feel fairly confident about that because you're going to have two more quad one wins. Um, you know, and, and you're playing on Sunday at that point. At that point, just win the freaking thing. But, you know, um, winning four games in four days is hard. But, man, they're going to give themselves a shot where if you beat LSU on Saturday or on Friday, you got a shot to wake up on Sunday and get into the tournament. Um, you'll be sweating a little bit if you lose on Saturday, but you got a shot. And so we talked about this a little before we uh, started recording again. If they get to Saturday, I think the toughest part is over because we talk about what te- – LSU I don't think is a great matchup for them. So, no. But if they are on Saturday, that means they beat LSU on Friday. And if I'm not mistaken, unless I have something wrong, the only opponents they could realistically face on Saturday are Georgia, Missouri, or Arkansas, right? Uh, that is correct. I mean, you pray it's not Arkansas, but yeah. But could they not beat Arkansas? I get Arkansas playing really well, but just matchup-wise, you'd probably rather have that than LSU. And I know that sounds silly. Oh, with, absolutely. You know, Arkansas's, I mean, well, Arkansas's playing Ole Miss well. was, Oh, what Ole Miss was rooting for today, right, is look, if Florida beats Tennessee – you're in the situation where you're the five seed. You play the 12-13 winner, which is Vanderbilt, Texas A&M. You win that game, and then you play Florida, who you match up with extremely, extremely well. Fortunately, Florida uh, just decided that they were going to quit with about 10 minutes left and didn't score for seven minutes and wound up falling to Tennessee. Um, so this puts you in the situation where you have to play LSU. And, look, Ole Miss did some of this to themselves. I mean, not blame somebody else. But it puts you in the situation where you have to beat a team you don't match up with. But you know what? You're going to take the floor on Friday with a chance to put yourself in pretty good shape to make the NCAA tournament. You've done a lot of this to yourself. Figure it out. Um, you know, you, you can't really blame anybody else at that point. Oh, and I 100% agree. And at the same time, you know, if you do – I mean, if you don't make it to Friday, if you lose to that South Carolina team, then this oh conversation is moved. You know what I mean? You're not an NCAA tournament team. You don't deserve – If you do that, you don't deserve to make the freaking NIT at that point. Agree. Whatever postseason you get is probably undeserved. Like, if you can't – with your season on the line, if you can't beat this South Carolina team that's really just been destroyed by COVID. Don't care. Destroyed by injuries. Like, you got to beat them, man. State sleptwalked them two weeks ago. State, state sleptwalked through a half and was up by, like, 18 on them. Like, that team yeah. – Really doesn't they have lost about thirty-eight yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> if if you lose that, then you know you get whatever's coming. You deserve whatever's coming to you in that sense, right? Like, yeah, I, we're in agreement there. Get to Friday. I don't like their chances against LSU. I think it's a crappy matchup. But hey, man, you get forty minutes. Your season's on the line. LSU's season is technically not on the line. And look, what is LSU? Red playing and blue for? will have more to play for. Yeah, that's what. What is LSU playing for on Friday? I did wonder, right? Like, so I was just talking to some buddies, and I didn't actually mean this seriously. We were talking about if Ole Miss matched up with Florida. Like, Florida legitimately has very little to play for in this SEC tournament. I was just kind of throwing it out there. I was like, they get Mike White on Friday. Is there any chance he kind of just throws one? Like, just walks off the floor. We're good. Thanks. And uh, gives Ole Miss one. I don't think he'd have done it, but I just kind of – I don't know. I thought it would have been kind of interesting. I bet it would have been a situation if, you know, Ole Miss was up six with six minutes left. He's just like, screw it. I'm done. So, I appreciate the sentiment, but you're looking at this totally the wrong way. <laughs> now, how with Florida, why not just offer enough money to wiretap Will to just throw, <laughs> throw this game on Friday? You're no, like, no, like, likely to accept a bribe. 
throw a game. The uh, the uh, church saint that is Mike White, who seems to be the most put together man on earth. Very great guy, all all yeah. all by all accounts. Or Will Wade, who's more likely to take a bribe? It's like Will. If I offer you one hundred and fifty thousand, <laughs> that's a strong ass offer to quote Will Wade. Could you lay down? <laughs> Could you maybe <laughs> yeah. put your center on the bench? That audio from the FBI wiretap is so funny. He's basically just saying, I'm tired of dealing with this kid. We gave him a strong-ass offer. It's like, also, that wasn't money I was referring to. They also, yeah, I was going to say, that's the best part. They went public with him saying we were talking about playing time. Sure, you were, man. <laughs> sack of crap. What is wrong with you? Like, I, I wish it would have been Calipari because Cal would have been like, yeah, we were discussing dollars. I don't care. Is what it is. The fact that as much as you want to make a wiretap, Will, I very much enjoy his press conferences. The three or four times he's rolled through Oxford while I was on the beat or vice versa. He's very funny to talk to. He has a little bit of Calipari in him where he, you know he's kissing ass and you know he doesn't mean what he's saying. And everyone in the room does it too, but he's going to say it anyway. I've appreciated <laughs> that part of it. And I just appreciate the sheer fact that this is the year 2021. This is March 2021. And Will Wade is still gainfully employed by LSU. My man, that alone like, makes me proud. No, 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 no. I should no, say. Here's what makes me proud at LSU is like he's not even the bad guy anymore. It's like wow, all the rest of you rejects are the worst, or are worse than him. He was the first one, and now he's a church saint compared to everything else. <laughs> you know, Maneri loses a series to Oral Roberts today, and he just looks around. And he's like, you know what? We'll probably be all right. <laughs> Probably not going to get run. Yeah, I mean, Maneri, outside of, you know, committing a hardcore felony, is probably okay for a while <laughs> in terms of just the moral high ground. And no, so no, no matter job security there, I'm not even going to get into that. But, like, just in terms of moral high ground, Maneri would have to, what, probably kill someone, right? <laughs> you know, like, the AD over there uh, is just, like, looking around at Maneri. It's like, dude, you're good. Go away. I got more to deal with. Poor Scott Woodward these days is probably pouring stiffies without any water. Yeah. That man's yeah, got like, a I lot on his at, plate that he was not there for. Yeah, I could be at A&M dealing with nothing, or I could be at LSU dealing with the uh, coach who's now at Kansas trying to kiss, you know, college students. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, Chase presented me the same question on that pod as the same thing. Um, over, under I'll, – I'll frame it differently because we were talking about it last week because he was asking did they get fired Friday, and I was correct. I'd say it next week. Is Les Miles still employed by Kansas on Thursday of this week? Give me Friday. Okay. Okay. That, that was the worst way I could have framed it, right? We've got to news dump this, right? They announced his, his internal – he was going on administrative leave at 7 p.m. on Friday. You're probably yeah. right. Yeah, get, get, give me Friday, and I say no. Fair enough. Woof, what a mess that is. I, uh, before we get out of here, I guess reeling this back into, uh, into the stratosphere a little bit, um, I would like to take a moment. Uh, can, we have a, uh, can we have a Romello White appreciation? Couple? Yeah. Just to, I mean, he finished with 11 points on Saturday, four rebounds. Not his best game by far, but he's their second leading scorer. Again, I would say this is a very Ole Miss win. They beat a bad team. They turned the basketball over 16 times and got to 56 points and still won by double digits. Really just kind of epitomized their season in a nutshell. But uh, Romello White has been a very enjoyable player to watch. He's very skilled. He's very athletic. And he's also incredibly smart. And it, I, I, don't, I don't mean this as a knock as anyone else. 
that's played in the front court uh, for Ole Miss in the last even decade or so. But he's been a joy to watch because of just how smart a player he is on top of his skill set. And I very much enjoyed him. And uh, I hope his career gets proper due because he's, he's had a great year and he's been a good Ole Miss Rebel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he's been extremely good this year. I don't know what they would have done at times without him this year when this offense was just, you know, in the blender. When, when they, I mean, essentially it was at times just throw it to Romello and see what happens. Um, yeah, extremely good player. You know, you, you want to have a hard conversation about basketball or you want to leave that for a little while? No, go ahead. Do they roll Kermit over if he doesn't make the NCAA tournament? Yeah, they should. I think. I mean, what do you? What do you? What message? What do you gain, and what message are you sending if you aren't? He's year three, and he's made a tournament. Yes, they sucked last year, but two, they're in the conversation in March again. Again, I will remind you, it is Ole Miss to a degree. That's all you can ask for. He needs to find a guard. Uh, you know, Deshaun Ruffin. Shout out to that guy. You know, they need your joiner to make a joint jump next year. They need more consistent backcourt play because other outside of what he's inherited with, namely Brian Tyree, because you know. Devontae's a good kid, enjoyed watching him play basketball over the years, but he just never turned out to be that guy. They need consistent scoring and a dynamic score out of the backcourt. He's got to find a way to recruit that. But what do you gain by not rolling him over? All right, here's my question. And, and, and this is a little bit, I guess, complex. What are you gauging Ole Miss basketball off of? Because, all right, you say you, – you, and, and stay with me here. You look at Andy Kennedy in year 13 or whatever, 11, 12, whatever. And he goes, whatever, 10 and 8, doesn't make the NIT, and you don't roll him over. And that's fine. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not gauging that. But are you saying that in year 12, what AK didn't do, or, or AKs didn't do a good enough job to get roll over, is that the standard of Ole Miss basketball now? Like, all right, if you don't meet this goal, we don't roll you over. Or do you think that was because AK was in year 12 and was, in, and was achieving that? That's my question. Like, all right, is Kermit not meeting the goals of Ole Miss basketball or did AK not meet the goals because he was in year 12? You see what I'm saying? Because it's, it's a different question. Um, it's, a set, it's, number, it's, it's option two for me. But I could also argue even the fact that it's year 12, that doesn't mean what happened to AK was justifiable at the same time. Sure. Both sure. things can uh, be true. It got stale. I get it. Whatever. But that also does not – again, that does not mean it was 100% justifiable in that moment. Yeah. I, I just – also, and, and maybe – he 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 would admit this if you asked. Have real issues, and, and it's something where you know I don't think it's a big deal. How do you not roll Mike Bianco over after he makes a super regional, and you 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 do kind of roll someone over that doesn't make the postseason? Like I just kind of feel like that's a dynamic that needs to be addressed at some point. And again, he extends Mike after last year back out to four years. I get it, but man, that decision kind of just looks foolhardy back in the day. It does, but I don't think I'm. I'm not defending the move, but I will. I will add some context to this, in the sense that you got to remember this is an interim AD who wanted at the time where Mike's not rolled over. This is an interim AD and Keith Carter, who wants the job, but is also trying to stay within the lines in terms of what is acceptable for an interim AD. Like the interim AD is not hiring and firing dudes. Like interim AD is not making a whole lot of quote-unquote, power plays, I would say, because you just don't really have the capital to do that. You're, designed, you're supposed to keep this sure. ship in line, keep the car on the road, whatever analogy you want to use, right? Okay? So, yes, should Mike Bianco have been rolled over from being a game away from Omaha in 2019? 
absolutely. But in that moment, when he's not rolled over, and again, another context to add to this is, one, Ross leaves, but two, you know, no matter who's the AD, 30-something days ago, 32, 33 days ago, he was as good as fired. Yes, he was. But my, my thing with that is now, all right, you tell me he's as good as fired, and he was. But then you tell me that the postseason is all that matters, and he gets this team hot in the postseason. So, like, which is it at that point, you know? Yeah, no, it's a weird dynamic, though, and that's why I don't necessarily – yes, it does look full, full-hearted in, in hindsight. Would not disagree with you there. And I will listen – I don't have a strong opinion on either side, whether it was the wrong or right move in the moment. Like, if you told me you had this passionate argument that it's the wrong move, I'd say sure. If you said, no, it was the right move, I'd probably say sure, too. I don't have a strong opinion on it. But when you go from almost fired to a game away from Omaha – all in a month's span, the outcome of, hey, you're not canned, you're also not extended, doesn't feel that unfair when you view it through that lens, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I just, man, it's it's a weird dynamic. And, again, he, he you know, fixed the issue after last year. But I don't know. I, I think that's going to be something interesting to follow with Kermit because let, let's just play this out. Let's, let's say they beat South Carolina on Thursday. They uh, – you know, lose to LSU like I think they probably – I think if you made me guess, that's what they do. They beat South Carolina Thursday, they lose to LSU on Friday. Agreed. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. But is next year kind of a big year? Like, if, if next year doesn't go well, I don't necessarily think next year is the year where he gets fired, but I think next year is the year if you're not in the NCAA tournament for the third year in a row, like, people are going to be like, yo, what's up, man? Yep, and it's also how it looks. I texted Bracken about this earlier, and we'll talk about this, sure, I'm sure, more on Tuesday when I talk about it. But I'll just read the text message because uh, it was a rare time where I think I made a decent point. But I don't want to uh, butcher it. I said he has to get some credit for them not sucking. January was pretty brutal, and they turned out decent. I feel like next year will determine how this year was put into context. And what I mean by that is – I feel like next season, the 2021-2022 season, will put into will long-term really contextualize the 2021 season to where if they suck in 2022 next year, it will get used against them. If they're good in 2021 – or excuse me, if they're good next year and they make the tournament, 2021 will be explained away as a pretty good coaching job in rough circumstances. And if that makes any sense at all, and whether it's fair or unfair or not, I think that's how that's going to go, and I think that's why next year – is an important year. If they make the tournament, you look back at 2021 and think, man, that was a pretty good coaching job. That team was really on the brink in January, and he got them right to the precipice, and they just couldn't get over the hump and couldn't get in the NCAA tournament, assuming that's what happens. Again, we could be – I mean, they could make it to Saturday, and this conversation will seem silly. Where at the yeah. same time, if they suck again next year, then to your point, 2021 is used against him to where it's like, hey, come on, man, what are we doing? Yeah, and, you know, I, look, I've been – you know, I, I've tried to not do it online or whatever. I've been kind of hard on Kermit. I, I don't think he's necessarily done a great job this year. I will say this. Um, the the KC will play hard for him because there was a time in, in January where this thing could have gone really, really badly. Um, and I frankly thought it was heading and going to be really, really badly. You know, personnel issues, not playing real well, whatever. Um, and credit to him. You're right. He, he did turn this thing around in February and into March and, you know, made them look respectful. I mean, frankly, look, they it's a little bit of 
you know, smoke and mirrors to an extent. They're what seven and two in their last nine, and frankly, they should have been nine and zero. Oh. That's what is infuriating. If you if you just show up in Oxford against your arch rival and you know play decently, and you don't lose to a god awful Vanderbilt team, like we're not even discussing what we're discussing this week. But you know, he does deserve some credit for not letting those kids quit for sure. Agree. It's very AK-esque. It's like this team doesn't suck. And that was kind of AK's strongest <laughs> argument. His team never sucked. And this team looked like for a while that they might suck, and they don't. They're they, good. thank God. That day they lost in Georgia, I was like, yeah, we're, they're in trouble. Like, is this, are they going 3-15? and 15? Right. Losing to Georgia and Oxford that way they did. Oh, my God. So, big week for Ole Miss basketball. They're playing very consequential basketball in March. And, hey, as, as a program, you know, we talked about contextualizing and all that. Kind of all you can ask for if you're all Miss at, at a certain point. So, hey, they're in the mix, and we'll see what happens. Um, I think we just about covered everything. We've gone, uh, gone a while. I appreciate you joining me again. We'll do this definitely on a post-series reaction every week. Hope we get you on as many Fridays as we can. Um, I enjoyed it. I think we covered everything. Ole Miss will be back in action in the midweek. Who do they play in the midweek? I didn't even look. Alcorn State on Tuesday night. Okay, so against uh, likely host Alcorn State on Tuesday. Big, big matchup for the Rebels. Ole Miss in, uh, plays on Thursday against South Carolina, uh, playing for the NCAA Tournament Fate. Um, as far as housekeeping notes, check out the newsletter on Monday. I've got a couple of stories, a couple of content ideas coming away this week. That should be in your inbox uh, later this week, so be on the lookout for that. I'll have Bracken Ray on in the middle of the week to talk some Ole Miss hoops. Talk about the career of Devontae Shuler, Romello White, where Kermit is in year three. Looking forward to that conversation. Um, have some ads coming your way, some ad sponsor partners, some intros. A lot of stuff going on uh, at rippywrites at substack.com. So I appreciate you guys joining me. Tell your friends to sign up to the newsletter. Um, we'll see you again on Mailbag Friday if you're up for it. Absolutely. Nice. So we got Colin back Friday, have a midweek podcast in between. Dude, I appreciate it. This was fun. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll let you learn. Absolutely. Everybody have a safe and happy Monday. Um, hope you enjoy this podcast. Check it out. Rate and review. We don't have any ratings and reviews on the podcast yet. Give us five stars. You can ever say whatever you want in the comments. Appreciate it by tagging along. Have a good week, and we'll be back at it on Wednesday. <laughs>